Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your home and a special shout out to Aldergrove CLCC. I trust you're having a wonderful Sunday. We're beginning a brand new series this week that we're excited about, and it's about Imperfect Christmas. It's a series for Advent, those four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And uh, in terms of imperfect Christmas, we're, we're thinking about that very first Christmas. That first Christmas had its challenges. Uh, there was uh, traveling uh, for taxation purposes uh, with, a, uh, with Mary, who was near uh, the end of her pregnancy term, and that must have been difficult. We remember there was no room in the inn. Uh, they had to give birth in a, in a manger kind of setting. Uh, and we also remember Herod's plot to kill the babies. And so we certainly know that that first Christmas, although we look back at it with fondness and we remember it and think of it with fondness, it wasn't a perfect thing. And so in our lives, often our Christmases don't meet up to our expectations. And yet in spite of the fact that our Christmases don't meet our expectations, Jesus meets our expectations and uh, fills us with love and joy and peace and all these kinds of things if we put our trust and our faith and our hope in Him. So this morning, I want to talk about imperfect families. You know, I, I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect family. And we see this in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. Now, a couple of comments about Matthew's genealogy, and, and Luke also has a genealogy in about his third chapter, you know, tracing uh, the life, the history of Jesus' relatives, ancestors. And, and uh, keep in mind that when Matthew writes his genealogy, he's not writing a family tree like we would today, where every relative, and, and, and a lot of people are interested in DNA tracing and, and send their DNA in, and they get uh, information about their ancestry and where they're from and different family members, and they check out where they're living, and they create this wonderful, wonderfully accurate family tree. This is not the genealogies of the first century. Uh, not everyone, not every generation is included in Matthew or Luke's genealogy. In fact, they arrange their genealogies for a purpose rather than being entirely accurate and mentioning uh, every single ancestor all the way back. So remember that genealogies in the first century, when you look at Matthew's and you look at Luke's, are not intended to be absolutely accurate in telling you every single relative that was in their ancestral line but rather they have been arranged and composed uh, to tell us something about uh, Jesus' ancestry. So, so here it is. Let me, let me read to you verses 1 to 17, Matthew chapter 1, and I will probably stumble over those, uh, some of these names, so forgive me. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the, Boaz, the father of Obed, 
whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile in Babylon, to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zedek, Zedek the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Wow, there's a lot of names, a lot of pronunciations there. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for this, this list, and uh, we thank you for Matthew compiling it for us. Uh, help us to understand what he was intending us to get out of this genealogy. Uh, help us to understand and, and apply it to our lives, what we may learn from the history of Jesus's imperfect family. In your name we pray, amen. So why did Matthew arrange his genealogy this way? If you were to look in Luke's gospel, Luke arranges his genealogy backwards, and he goes from Joseph all the way backwards. He doesn't stop at Abraham, which is where Matthew starts. He doesn't stop till he gets all the way to Adam, and he lists these, this great group of names. And of course, he's not listing every name. He's skipping generations. He's, he's doing what the scholars call, he's telescoping his, uh, his genealogy. He's expanding and contracting it to, to bring out some points that he wants to make. Now, Matthew tells us there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, David to the exile, and from the exile to Jesus. Well, he's listed 14 generations, but we know there were way more than 14 generations. It's because of some intent that he has that he's telling us that he's listing 14. Actually, there's 750 years in that first 14, and then there's 400 years in the second, and there's 600 years in the third. But he has arranged it this way with this number 14 to say something to us. And scholars think that he's using the number 14 because it's the perfect number seven or the number of completion times two. Now, he begins with Abraham, and he says that Abraham uh, begins the list. Now, Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He, he wasn't Jewish. Uh, he was born as a, as a foreigner. He, he was faithful to God, and God promised him that out of him would come a whole nation. And so he was really the father of the Jewish people. And in listing the list this way, where the first 14 come from Abraham, uh, what Matthew's trying to tell us is that Jesus is being compared to Abraham. He's the new father of a new kind of Israel. And then the second list starts with David. Now, David was Israel's greatest king. And it, David was promised that uh, out, of, out of him would come uh, great kings and uh, his kingdom would last forever. And so Jesus, in Matthew's genealogy, is being compared to David, the great king. He is the new king of a new Israel. 
And then the next 14 starts with the exile. Now, the exile, if you'll remember, was when Israel lost their land and their national status. Because they hadn't been faithful to the Lord, the Lord allowed a country to come and take their best and brightest young men and women into captivity, into Babylon. And uh, from that point on, they lose their national identity. They lose the land. They lose kind of the ownership of the land. And from then on, they're going to be, well, a vassal state or a state that is uh, under the authority or control of another country. Even when they return uh, and they rebuild the temple, which is destroyed uh, during, the, during the exodus of, uh, of the children uh, of Israel to Babylon, uh, even when it's, it's rebuilt, it's not the same. And so the, the people of God are living in a country that uh, they don't own, uh, that is really not their country, where the laws are unfamiliar to them and perhaps even hostile to them, and the people are hostile to them. And so this this idea that the exile is compared to the reign of Jesus. So Jesus is compared to the exile, and he brings the new kingdom to the world, even though this new kingdom will kind of be like a kingdom in exile. So the kingdom of God, the people of God, will live in a place that really is not their permanent home, that, that really will sometimes have laws and, and will have principles and will have guidelines that are contrary to, and in fact in conflict, with the principles of the kingdom of God. And so there's this contrast or comparison between the children of Israel being in exile and the people of God living in exile under the reign of Jesus, because his kingdom is not a physical kingdom. It's not a national, a, a national kind of uh, kingdom, but rather it's a kingdom of hearts. It's a kingdom who, of people who give Jesus lordship in their lives. So Jesus then, in, in the uh, genealogy of Matthew, is the new father. He is the new king. And he brings the new kingdom. But wait, there's more. Uh, Matthew's intent goes beyond that. I, I think that that's really outstanding in Matthew's content. He completely breaks protocol in terms of genealogies in, in the ancient Near East. When he begins, but he tells us that there are four women in the genealogy. Uh, and, and four rather notor notorious women. In, in fact, uh, he not, doesn't just mention these women, he mentions some kings that, uh, that are pretty notorious. In other words, in Jesus's family history, there are some skeletons in the closet. Uh, he goes out of his way to mention some notorious women and some really bad kings to help us understand that even in Jan Jesus's family, there were some things that, that weren't really copacetic, that, that weren't as they should be, weren't as they would hope they would be. Now, the women that are mentioned are mentioned in verses 3 to 6, and the women are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah was uh, one of the patriarchs. Remember, it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then one of Jacob's sons was Judah. And uh, Judah had a, a son, his oldest son, who was married to Tamar. He died before they could have children. And because of the laws of the land, she got to marry the next son, uh, who also died without having children. And so Judah says to himself, 
I am not going to allow her to marry another one of my sons. Uh, she's bad luck. Uh, I don't want another son to die. And so he refuses to give his next son to her in marriage. And so what she does is she dresses up like a prostitute. She uh, seduces him on a roadway and uh, uh, gets pregnant. And this is the child that they're talking about in the genealogy of Jesus. A pretty sketchy story is found in Genesis chapter 38. Now, Rahab was the prostitute of Jericho who hid the Israeli spies in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And Ruth was a Moabite, and, and we recently in a series talked about her life, but the Moabites were traditional enemies of Israel. We, we find that in Ruth uh, chapter 1. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah with whom David, King David, had an affair. Remember the story? Uh, David is... Uh, uh, looking out off his uh, balcony, off his roof. He sees this beautiful woman having a bath, decides to invite her over. Uh, she's married to one of his soldiers. In fact, one of his uh, uh, notorious uh, uh, leading commanders of one of his uh, group, groupings in his army. And he has an affair with her and she becomes pregnant. And then David decides to cover it up by calling Uriah home and asking him to spend some time with his wife. And Uriah won't uh, because he's so loyal to his troops. He decides that he would, he would not want to be with his wife when his troops are out uh, in battle. And eventually uh, David has a plot where he, he causes Uriah to be killed on the battlefront. And so, again, this is the story of how uh, one of the ancestors of Jesus is born. So except for Ruth, uh, these women are not glowing examples of godly women, and yet they're contained in the genealogy of Jesus. We're reminded, and I don't think any of us like to be told or to find out that our relatives have uh, you know, less than stellar reputations. Maybe some of them were... Uh, were uh, uh, you know rebels in in lots of different ways, and uh, sometimes we just we just don't want to even think about that of of uh, our background and and some of the things that have, have could have happened in our family history. Uh, all of these women were foreigners, or in the case of Bathsheba, uh, she was married to a foreigner. Foreigner uh, Uriah was a Hittite, which was a a different group of people. And notice as well that all of their pregnancies involve some kind of drama. Uh, just not a regular kind of thing where a couple gets married and have children. There's drama involved in each of the pregnancies. And this kind of sets us up to realize that, uh, yes, there's going to be drama in the life of Jesus, because certainly uh, there was drama in Mary's life when she becomes pregnant without, uh, without knowing uh, Joseph as her, as her husband. So here's Matthew's intent. He wants us to know that God never writes people off. Uh, there are surprising outcomes, uh, and, and really surprising outcomes are God's thing. Even Jesus' family was imperfect, yet he could take those imperfect situations, those, those uh, well, notoriously crazy situations, and somehow weave them into the tapestry of, uh, of the life of Israel. And, and you look back on Israel's history, and even reading the story, and you see these, these kings that were involved, like Ahaz and Manasseh, uh, who were horrible kings and who did all kinds of horrible things. Manasseh introduced child sacrifice sacrifice, um, human sacrifice into Israel's uh, religious uh, tradition. And uh, 
we look back and say, well, there are some horrible things that took place. There are some horrible people, really sketchy characters in the history of uh, Jesus' ancestry. And yet God can take all that and he can work out his purposes. God uses improbable candidates to accomplish his will. In God's economy, in God's way of doing things, there are no lost causes. Notice as well that Jesus breaks down barriers. We see in the, in the genealogy that Matthew presents for us, uh, the, he breaks down uh, rigid lines of demarcation between Jews and Gentiles because he includes both in the heritage of Jesus. Uh, notice that he breaks down the barriers between males and females. He includes women in the genealogy of Jesus and gives them a prominent place. Notice he breaks down the barrier between saints and sinners. And, and there were some really good kings and there were some really bad kings noted in the genealogy. You know, the enemy of our souls, the, the devil, loves to categorize people and put boundaries on people, and put labels on people, uh, put boundaries according to their behavior, uh, according to their ethnicity, according to their gender. And we're finding a lot of that today, where, where people are being identified by their gender and, and uh, occupation, health challenges, uh, religion, etc., all become ways of labeling people and, and putting boundaries around them so that we, we only expect certain things of them. I, I think that's the, the enemy of our souls who wants to limit what, what we understand God to be doing or what God can do with people. You see, we are, a, we are all made in the image of God. We are all his special creation. We're not bound by our ethnicity or our behavior or our past or the relatives that were in our past or, or our genetics. Uh, we are all made special in the image of God. We have all been designed to worship. We've all been designed to be creative. We've all been designed to, to work best in community. We've all been designed to play, etc. Uh, under his loving care, as imperfect but eternal beings, God has created us in his image. Imperfect families are not the exception. In fact, they're the norm. <laughs> You're in good company. I'm in good company. God works out his purposes regardless. He can work something good of the, out of the worst of circumstances. Don't give in to the temptation to give up on people by labeling them. God is the great boundary breaker. Put your trust in him. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for Matthew and, and, and recording for us his, his genealogy of the life of Jesus, for, for showing us who Jesus is as, as the the new king, the new father of Israel, the new uh, kingdom builder who, who brings this kingdom even though we're in exile and, and loves us and challenges us and renews us and gives us hope. We thank you, Father, for the fact that, uh, that you can work in our lives in spite of the fact that we have imperfect backgrounds, imperfect families, and, and you can make something out of nothing. You can take any circumstance and turn it around. So we trust you to be doing that in our lives through this Christmas season. We trust you to enable us to, to see that even though things may not be quite as we would hope they would be, that you are at work in our lives and you're the great boundary 
breaker. You don't label us. You don't, you don't put limits on us. Rather, you, you allow us to flourish and to grow and to become all that we can be in you. So, Lord, I pray that we would keep that in mind and hold that in our hearts through this Christmas season. In your name we pray. Amen. In the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew puts Jesus in a bigger story than the first century Roman Empire. And and I think that's one of the reasons generally why genealogies are important, because they help us to see Jesus not just as a a man who was born in the first century. We see him attached to this much, much bigger story of uh, goes all the way back to Adam in Luke's gospel and all the way back to Abraham in Matthew's gospel. And you know, if all of us are living in a story, we have a story, and it's the story of our own lives, but we have a bigger story. We are part of a bigger story. We're a part of the story of humankind. We're part of the story of our, of our family, of our ancestry. We're part of the story of the, the town there, the city that we live in, the province that we live in, the nation that we live in. And stories are really, really important to human beings. In, in fact, uh, meaning comes to us through stories. That's why stories are so popular and so important. And, and, and uh, we, we need to be well aware of the fact that, that our story is not just this uh, little grouping of uh, uh, me, myself, my wife, my family, and my few children. There's, there's a far bigger story that I'm involved with. I'm involved in the story of the kingdom of God. I'm involved in a story of recreation. I'm involved in a story where God is at work in the world, uh, changing, renewing, redeeming the world from from the effects of the fall of, of man and the sin and the corruption of the world. That's part of our story. That's part of your story. You live in the middle of that story. And sometimes it's just important to kind of like wake up to the idea that uh, we are not bounded by the circumstances that are immediately present in our lives, but we're part of a bigger picture. We're part of a bigger story. And God is going to work that story for his honor and his glory and our good. So I trust that you would recognize that story, that great story that you're a part of. Our doxology for this series on Advent is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. It should be familiar to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 1030. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 830, 10, and 1130. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.